I have something that I want to show you guys too that we put together here. You're in First Samuel 17, and I have a little demonstration here. I hope I can find right quick. I should have had this ready, and I didn't. That's because I did have it ready. It's under, it's under the podium. I'm a little ahead of myself. Okay. Okay. All right. So let me just read this as we talk about spiritual warfare. Chapter 17. It says in verse 40, then he, that's David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Dear Lord Jesus, this morning as we, as we try to learn your word more, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds of understanding that we would be able to grow from your word, that we would learn something from your word that would help us to be more like you. I want to be more like you. We're going to hear more of that later as Brother Rick sings, but I, Lord, we just want to be more like you in our thoughts, in our speech, and in our deeds. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would be glorified and your people would be edified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in spiritual warfare, last week we learned some things about, I seem like I'm going in and out, Marcus. I'm not sure what's happening, but it's I'll, I'll work on it. If I can't get it, I'll just use a mic. Thank um, you. We, we, we've been learning about spiritual warfare. This is our second part of this series. And last week I talked about some of the things, some of the misconceptions we have of who Satan is. I talked about some of the devices of the enemy because the Bible says we should not be ignorant of devices. And um, let me just, I read you First Samuel 1740 turn real quickly to st luke chapter 10 and i'm going to talk about some of the powers that we have to prevail over the adversary in the spiritual warfare and here's what it says and the 70 i'm in verse 17 of luke 10 and the 70 return again with joy saying lord even the devils are subject to us through thy name and that's a good thing the devil is subject to us we have the victory over the enemy through name of Jesus. You can't just go out there picking fights with the devil thinking that you're just going to just knock him around. I mean, he is supernatural, right? He is supernatural. We're not going to just, just, you know, sometimes people get a little carried away with demon exorcism and demon command and demonology and Satan uh, um, combat. I don't, I don't see where we go and pick a fight with the enemy just because we feel like we have the Holy Spirit. Um, the Bible says that we resist the devil and he flees from us. It doesn't say that we, we, we pick a fight, that we go on the aggressive. You know, we respect the fact that he is a, a fallen angel. He is more powerful than we are from a just a physical standpoint but he isn't more powerful than we are through the power of the Holy Spirit 
because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you and John than he that is in the world, okay? So here's what happened when these 70 uh, returned from being on their missionary journey. The Bible says, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he said, behold, behold I, uh, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, this is the Lord speaking to them. I give you power to tread on and scorpions. And by the way, some people have really taken that out of control. People are walking on snakes. They're walking on hot coals. They're handling scorpions. That wasn't what he was trying to say here. People just go off on tangents and they lift stuff out of context and they turn it into some spiritual. And that's, that's not what he's saying at all. This is driving me crazy. I'm going to have to just switch because I can't take it. Uh, let me you, just another you are out, just so you know. I don't know if I'm going into dead spots exactly. or, or, or what, but sure, I, yes. I got to work on this because I really need both hands. Okay, so I'm going to switch mics. Thank you. Color? Uh, green. Green. Thank you. Thank you. Green mic. Okay, great. And I guess I can always use the podium if I could find a way to stay still. <laughs> it's just something about the word, though, that Amen. Amen. excited. And uh, I totally see. I totally see what Jeremiah felt when he said it was like fire shut up in his bones. And he couldn't quit. He couldn't give it up. He couldn't stop. So, so here's, here, let me just finish this and, I, and I'll move on here. It says in verse 20 of St. Luke chapter 10, finally the Lord says, ultimately, notwithstanding, let me define that, in spite of the fact that you have power over demons, over devils, over evil spirits, over principalities, powers in the air, in spite of the fact that you have the ability, ladies and gentlemen, you, you that have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to prevail over those, right? That shouldn't be the most exciting thing in our lives. That shouldn't be what we go bragging about and pouring Gatorade over ourselves about. That shouldn't be our most uh, crowning moment. Not that. Here's what should be our most crowning moment. That your names, your names, your, I'm, I'm pointing at all y'all. I'm looking at you. Your names, your names. Some translations say are written, but I prefer, I prefer what the Greek word says in that case. The Greek word is the word for recorded. Your names are recorded. Let me tell you the difference. When your name is written on a sheet of paper, it's just written on a piece of paper. It can be one of many names, right? It can be one of many names that are part of a list of names, that are part of a group of names. But when your name is recorded, that means your name is specifically registered. There is meaning, there is definition, there is a certain relationship associated with that name. You are a member, you are certified, you are verified, you have been confirmed, you have been authenticated, you are not false. You are not phony. You are not a counterfeit. When it says your name has been recorded, or in the Greek, your name has been registered in heaven, that means that is official. It means it's official. It means 
you and I are legit. We're in, man. We are in. We can't be kicked out. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 1.13 that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed. We are set aside for that day. We are appointed. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's a done deal. He doesn't have an eraser on his pencil. <laughs> God doesn't have an eraser. There ain't no whiteout. Once you're in, you're in. We won't, we won't get into the argument about eternal security and all that. That's not the point. The point is that when you're truly saved, when you are truly converted, John 8, 31 says that if you continue in my word, ye are my disciples indeed. Right? So he says that we not only are our names written in heaven, recorded in heaven, registered in heaven, it also says that the powers of Satan and his imps, his demons, his spirits, his emissaries are subject to us as believers through the name of Jesus. Therefore, we are not to be, listen, we are not to be afraid of the enemy. Amen? So, what, so imagine David is coming to visit his brother under his father's orders. He brings his brothers some, brothers some food. Three of them were in the military that we know of. We don't know about the other four, but we know the oldest three sons were in Saul's army, the army of Israel, the army of God's people. And Goliath was down there in the valley taunting, sending out threats, trash talking for 40 days, day and night, twice a day. He just wondered why didn't somebody just go down there and take this dude out? He's blaspheming God. He's defying a living God. He's taunting. He's trash talking. He's doing all of this stuff to the only living God in the universe. And the Bible says that the men of Israel, the soldiers, were, pet were basically petrified with fear says they were sore afraid. They were afraid. They were fearful. They wanted nothing to do with this cat that was, according to several portions of Greek text, was either nine feet, nine inches. That means he's looking way down on Jabbar and way down on Shaq. He's nine feet, nine inches. And some texts have said that he was as tall as 11 feet. Very strong. Very powerful, a trained warrior. Essentially, this dude was a killing machine. He was an assassin. He was a one-man wrecking crew. And so he's down there in this valley just day after day hurling insults and, 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 and just basically nasty things about the God of Israel. And so David finally gets permission after being overlooked by his father, discouraged by his brother, dismissed by King Saul, and disrespected by this uncircumcised Philistine. He finally gets the release, the marching orders. The great late Dr. E.B. Hill preached a sermon, Report for Duty, where he talks about finally David gets the marching orders. 
We have the marching orders to move forward. And so David sets off. I don't think, listen, I told the Sunday school class this morning, I don't think there was any reservation at all in David's mind that dude was coming home. This was not a suicide mission. This was not a kamikaze mission. This was not a mission where I ain't going to come back and he's signing his last will and testament and telling his brothers, hey, y'all going to have my marble connection and my baseball cards. This was not that. This was not, dude was totally planning on coming home. This is going to be a short excursion down to the Valley of Elif, and we are going to be back for lunch. <laughs> I know it doesn't say that in the text, but actually it does say that in the text in so many words. David was not afraid. Look at, if you will, verse 45. I'm not going to be very long, so just stay with me because there's some really good points here. In verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, I'm jumping from Luke 10 back to 1 Samuel 17. It says in the English Standard Version in verse 45, then David said to the Philistines, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. And by the way, this sword, spear, and javelin probably together weighed more than David weighed. Right? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. I, I love that. I love that passage Psalms, Psalms 20, I think it's verse 7, says, Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. Let me break it down. Let me bring it to 2023. 2023 would say, Some trust in their bank account, some trust in their job, some trust in their spouse. Some trust in their status in the community. Some trust in their last name. Some trust in their college degree. Some trust in their union card. Some trust in their knowledge. Some trust in their physique, their, their bill, their, their good, their good uh, form, their, their good eating habits, their good dieting habits. Some trust in their looks. Some trust in their wealth. Some trust in their smarts. That's basically what David was saying there when he wrote that in Psalms 20. He says, we trust in all these things, horses and chariots, money and wealth and status, our social security check, our pension check. Amen? Let it not come. <laughs> y'all say, y'all had it. Uh -huh. And then I said, but let it not come. Go to the mailbox. Go look in the bank account. It ain't there. Panic and terror sets in, right? <laughs> some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. But, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. David's just a bad dude at, on, on multiple levels but mainly his understanding, his relationship with the Lord. He was just tough. Let me just say this to you before I finish this, before I finish this account. Let me just say this to you. The closer you, the more you grow spiritually. Listen, listen, stay with me. Stay with me, everybody. This is important. The more you grow spiritually, that is, the more you spend time in the word and prayer and fasting and worship 
in quiet time with the Lord, learning his word. I'm not saying that you got to become a scholar or a theologian or academician. You don't have to become super, superman in terms of Bible knowledge. You just spend time alone with the Lord, letting him speak to your heart through his word in prayer, not begging all the time, not petitioning, but just conversing, just fellowshipping, just sometimes listening, not saying a word, just meditating, just allowing the word to just marinate in your spirit. The more you grow spiritually, watch this, the bigger God should become in your life. God should just start big. You know, when David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What David was saying was when you keep, when you, when he was saying, oh, magnify the Lord with me, he wasn't saying let's make God bigger because we can't make God bigger. God is already as big as he can get. <laughs> God's size is not his problem. God's size is our problem because we don't see him as big as he is. He's already big. He's already omnipotent. He's already omniscient. He's already omnipresent. God can't get any bigger, but he can get bigger in our minds. So what the writer was saying is, oh, ex exalt the Lord with me. That is, I want to make God bigger in my head. He needs to be bigger in my life. He needs to be bigger in my thoughts. I need to think of him as being who he is, the God of the universe, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I need to quit making God man size. I need to quit making God a superhero. I need to quit making God my size. God needs to become, listen, the closer you get to the Lord spiritually, the bigger God gets, the smaller your enemies become. You want your problems to get smaller? You want your cares of this world to get smaller? You want to diminish the adversary in your life? You want to reduce your problems to opportunities? You want to reduce what the enemy is trying to blow up and destroy? You want to dismiss that as nothing but something to make you stronger? You know how that happens? By getting more of God in us, seeing him for who he is. He becomes bigger in our minds and our problems becomes lesser in our minds. Let me wrap this up. Here we go. Here we go. This is what David says to Goliath. This is what we should say to the devil who, who is represented by Goliath in this account. This is what spiritual warfare looks like. That was a subtitle of the lesson, part two. This is what spiritual warfare looks like every day. Our Goliaths, our battles, right? Y'all still with me? How long have I been talking? Come on, guys, give me eight more minutes. Eight more minutes and I'll wrap it up. Eight minutes. Check this out. Check this out. This is just so good. This is the best part of the message. And I thought I had already covered some good points, but I like what I'm about to say even better. I may not, Marcus, I'm sorry. I might not even get to the PowerPoint presentation. I might not get to my show and tell. I'm, I'm a try. I'm a try. But I, I really need to show you guys this before, before we sit down. 
Here's what it says in verse, y'all still with me? Verse 46, I'm in 1 Samuel 17. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. <laughs> oh man, that reminds me of my grandson, Jace. Boy, he just goes for, he's just, he, he does not take, prisoners right jace jace this, this, this i can see my grandson jace saying this and i will give the dead bodies of the host of the philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a god in israel yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so 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 i, I was going to do this demo of, of what 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 the uh what, what the slingshot may have looked like according to the records that I, that I read. So it might have been something like this. And a projectile, here's a little rock, a pebble. Could have been anything from a golf ball size, golf ball size, up to a tennis ball size. So he would, I ain't gonna hit nobody. <laughs> So he would, he would have, uh, just pretend like this is in there because it's not going to stay in there. He would actually lock one side in a forefinger here, and he would hold the other side like this. And he would swing. And I always thought, you know, there you go. Thank you, Marcus. I always thought that this thing was pretty primitive. This thing is super primitive. I made this at home yesterday while watching Mission Impossible. Okay, so, so it didn't take much it didn't take much effort. Marie said, yeah, it looks like it too. Yeah, it probably does. But the dimensions are right. Forget about how it looks. Oh. <laughs> a, a, little, a little piece of leather and some rope, right? And I always thought that this guy did this. I always thought it was like this going at Goliath. But it might have been like this. Underhand, softball style, and boom, he let go of one rope. That would allow the, the projectile or missile, they would call it, to let go. And um, he would hit his target. Smooth, small, flat stone. The book that I read about Hebrew fighters in ancient times, a thousand years before Christ, they preferred small stones because there was less wind and air res uh, restriction. There was less pushback. There was less friction. So it could hit his target. Watch this. These guys could hit a target from anywhere from 219 yards, that's two football fields, to 440 yards, that's a quarter of a mile. Yeah, quarter of a mile. With Archers couldn't go that far. A bow and arrow couldn't go that far. These guys were lethal, especially the members of the tribe of Dan. Check that out. Dan had a lot of left-handers in their tribe. And these left-handed dudes, they'd get to swinging, and they could kill men with a stone like this from up to four football fields away, even if it hit their armor, it could send enough, enough impact that it would destroy or disrupt internal organs to some points, sometimes to the point of death. These things were lethal, okay? These, these slingshots, don't ever consider David, you know, uh, to be a, a little weakling because he used a slingshot, that was a serious weapon, as serious as a sword, a spear, a javelin, or a bow and arrow, and especially in the hands of a skillful person. But that's not my point. 
I don't think that the slingshot is what killed Goliath. I said this in Sunday school. I think Goliath was a dead man walking the moment he got down in that valley. Boom. He was already dead. When he started cursing God and blaspheming, I'll tell you why. Let me tell you what it says right here. Listen to this. In the book of Leviticus, I know it's one of those books that we only read when we can't get a lot of sleep. But Leviticus 24, 16 says this. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, Ella Reg. Shall sure. It didn't say that necessarily that you had to do it or David had to do it. I believe anybody with enough courage decided, I'm going down there. This dude is breaking the Mosaic law. He's cursing God. He's, he's, he's blaspheming against God. And I can't stand. God took Goliath out. Yeah. Yeah, here's what it says. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. In this case, I'm sorry, Leviticus 24, 16. And this is the stone. I found this out in the street yesterday when I was putting this demo together. So this is the stone. They, they stoned. I, look, I looked at somehow at some of the Old Testament and even New Testament stonings. They were using rocks much bigger than this. I mean, they were just like picking up little small boulders and stoning people. But guess what? If God's behind it, a little stone like this can do the trick, right? Little stone. Goes on to say in Leviticus 24, 16, Whosoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, capital N, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. God don't play. Really, God does not play. So you may ask, well, Pastor Will, dude, don't you think it was a little over the top for David to kill him with the slingshot? The Bible says that the rock sunk into his skull. That's just gross to think about. And he fell flat on his face or whatever didn't get in. It got finished, pushed in by his impact to the ground. Don't you think that was enough? Did he have to go and take the dude's sword and decapitate him? Was that really necessary, Pastor Will? You know what the answer is? Absolutely. Because, because I put down two reasons. I just wanted to have it in my notes. Number one, I put down, and I, this is what I believe, that he cut his head off afterwards because he wanted to Show the Philistines proof that this guy wasn't just unconscious or had a concussion. And then they drag his body away and say later on, he wasn't really dead. All David did was just kind of numb him. That he wasn't dead, so we're going to still fight. No, David left under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it that this dude was D-O-A. There was no concussion. There was no getting knocked unconscious. There was no being in a, you know, a coma. David said, nope, just so y'all can see it. Because when you're that far away, he probably couldn't tell exactly if the people watching the fight from up on the ridge really knew what was going on down at the ground zero. So he hit him with it 
But the Bible says very clearly, if you read the text in almost any translation, that he was dead because of the impact of the stone. He was already dead. I don't believe that, you know, I've read some commentators said that, well, he cut his head off because he wasn't really dead. He was just done. Baloney. Dude was dead. David didn't kill him. God killed him. God don't leave no stuff undone. God wasn't messing around. This was not just a dog and pony show. Even though Philistine did say, what am I, a dog? And God probably would have said, yeah, you go die like one. Yeah, and so here's the other reason I put down in my notes that I believe the reason that David went the extra step and, and uh, decapitated him to prove and inspire the army of the Lord that victory was theirs. Because look what happened after David. You know, when David used a slingshot and killed him, everybody just stood around like, okay, so he got in a good shot. Looks good. Looks good. Point. You get a point. But listen what happened after David went and took Goliath's sword and cut his head off. Look at what Israel did. The Bible says, the Bible says that the, that the soldiers, wait, let me go down to verse. Let me go down to, to this particular verse. Wait a minute. It's on my other, wait, on my other sheet. Ran out of notes. The Bible says that after he, um, struck and de delivered him in verse, hang on a second here, um, 52, thank you, verse 52. Um, actually, yeah, yeah, 51. Here's what the Bible says in 51. I'm in Saint, I'm in 1 Samuel 17, 51. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. But here's what I wanted you to see. It's 52. It's 52. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout. By the way, let me just point this out. There's still a united kingdom at this point. There hasn't been a split. The split doesn't come until Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, that's when Rehoboam and Jeroboam take over the south and north kingdoms. The kingdom split. Israel is split at that point. Right now, they're still a united kingdom. They're a force to be reckoned with. The Bible says that when the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines, as far as Gath at the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shirem as far as Gath and Ekron. The point I'm making is, the point I'm making is, as I get ready to close, the point I'm making is, is that when David finished the job, cutting the head off was not a, 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 a sign of overkill or dishonor. It was a sign to motivate the troops that this battle was over. Do you see what this 15-year-old kid did to this nine-foot-nine giant? You got this. Let's finish him off. And, 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 and wait, you may say, well, wow, that just, Pastor Will, I, I hear you, but that still sounds cruel. Well, let me tell you what 2 Corinthians says. Here's what the Holy Spirit said through Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. This was not cruel. Watch this. He says, the weapons we fight with, are you all with me? Can you get, I had to ask for eight more minutes. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, 
I, okay, I'm good. Okay, so check this out. Here's what Paul was writing on the Holy, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5 says, The weapons that we fight with, King James Version, says the weapons of our warfare, spiritual warfare, right? Spiritual warfare. By the way, guys, listen. We're fighting for our lives, physically and spiritually. Do not, I know we're wearing this garb and we're, you know, we're having some fun with it. And it's great that we don't have to wear a three-piece suit every Sunday. But let me tell you something. This is serious business. Listen, the devil is not taking any prisoners. What we're involved in by assembling here today, this is serious. This has eternal consequences. This has ramifications that extend beyond even this life. Please don't look at this as just another sermon among sermons, another history lesson, that this is just data or information. Please look at this, that this is life-changing information. This is God's word. His word is quickening. His word is life. His word brings about change. There's, there's, there's power in God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't get this way without using God's word and about embracing God's word. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So, so in closing, listen to this. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Why are you reading this, Pastor Will? Because some of you thought that David was going overkill, you know, and just going crazy by cutting off Goliath's head and then taking the head back to King Saul and then putting Goliath's weaponry in his tent. Sound like, wow, this is just like, dude, lighten up. You've been watching too many war stories. No, David had a reason for this. He did it because of this. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, Apostle Paul writes, they have divine power to watch the words that God uses. The words that God uses are not in the King James Version. Okay, from the ESV, at any, I don't know if you have the ESV available to you, Mark Jr., but if you don't, no words, you can leave that up. Here's what it says in, in the ESV. It says, they have divine power to, watch this, Watch this word, demolish. Demolish strongholds. Wait for the next word. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The words, the words that Paul uses are so destructive. They're so violent. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, guys, you can't play house with the devil. You can't play nice. This is not about taking prisoners. This is not about just barely winning. This is not about being polite and, 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 and uh, restrained. We must destroy everything until it's dead, not breathing, no brainwave activity, nothing. You got to make sure that the enemy is eradicated from your life completely. No residual 
no, no residual collateral presentations or presence of the enemy in our lives. Lord, I want you to take this away from me. Everything that's unlike you, everything that you are un, unhappy with, everything in my life that presents a, an affront to you, a, that presents some sort of uh, insult to you, an offense to you, Lord, take it away. Let the words in my mouth, Psalms 14, say, oh, I love this. I know we used to sing it, we used to say it as a benediction, but we should have been saying it as a prayer. Let the words in my mouth, let the thoughts, the, the, the things that I contemplate, the things that I muse over, the things that I, that I chew on on a daily basis, let the meditations of my heart, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Not just my actions, not just my words, not just my deeds, Lord, but let all of my thoughts be pleasing in your sight, be acceptable, be pure, be honest, be transparent, be acceptable by you. Mm. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Okay, I'm done. Next week, I'll talk about how we can apply these elements that David applied to defeat Goliath. I was going to say Saul, but to, to defeat Goliath. By the way, I thought it was just so cool. I thought it was so cool that that Saul hired David to play his harp, his lyre. A lyre is basically a harp. It's a stringed instrument. I thought it was just so cool that Saul hired David to play music, to chase away, Sister Annie, to chase away evil spirits. I'm sorry. I, I just feel like this. I feel like... When me and Lisa and Andy and Tim when he's here and Crystal when he's here and Christian when she plays and, and Lexi, I believe that when we're playing music, I just believe that we are chasing the enemy away. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My mother used to talk about that, about her, her, her music, our music, chasing away, repelling evil spirits. You may say, well, Pastor, well, I don't play an instrument. You don't, your, your voice is an instrument. When the enemy comes against you, when he raises himself up against you, you start humming, you start singing, you start thinking a melody about victory, about God is good. Oh, Lord, how good you are. Oh, Lord, you are my strength. Oh, Lord, you are my redeemer. Oh, what amazing grace. How sweet the sound. You just start singing in your mind, singing under your breath. You may not can carry a tune. You may not can carry a melody, but you just start singing in your mind, Lord, you are good, and your mercies endure forever. Lord, I love you, Lord Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness. You start singing and humming or whispering the melodies of God, and you just see how that lifts up your spirit. You see how it empowers you. Amen? Yeah. Praise, praise confuses the enemy. Praise disorients the enemy. If you don't believe me, read 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Praise sends the enemy into a frenzy. 
praise allows the enemy to fight and destroy himself. You need not fight in this battle. The battle is the Lord's. You start praising him. You start clapping your hands. You start praising the name of Jesus. You start lifting up your voice. You start saying, God, you are good. God, you are great. God, I love you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I praise your name. You start saying that. You start saying it. And you see what the enemy does. God bless you. Amen. 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 Amen.